We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Our presenting sponsor is BetUS, a place for you with the NBA playoffs here to wager on the games. At BetUS, they have great payouts, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you could dream of. You can join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com and get a 125% sign-up bonus using the promo code DANE125. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. And on today's show, my guest is someone that all of you should be reading over at canishoopus.com. He's an indispensable part of the Timberwolves writing community. He's the host of the Paint Points podcast, P-A-Y-N-T, Points. Uh, he's Jake Painting. What's up, Jake? Thanks for getting up early on a Monday morning. It is yes. Sunday here, but it is Monday morning in Australia. How are you? Yeah, really well. Uh, thanks for having me. It's it's a long time coming, the, the Paint Points Dane Moore crossover, so I'm happy to be <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> well, next time I write a 6,000-word article, <laughs> you could, I'll come over onto your pod and we'll, we'll chop it up. I think, um, I think your body of work throughout the year is more than a 6,000-word article. <laughs> I yeah, I'm off my writing game, man. It's been I I read I honestly I, I read great articles like yours or from elsewhere, and I'm like, man, I miss it. I I miss I miss writing. But as you know, takes a lot of time mm-hmm. to to write. Particularly this article you wrote, and if those of you listening don't know, Jake just wrote basically the Leandro Bolmaro Bible. I'm going to keep messing up how to say that the whole time. Um, it's a it's a massive article. It's really well done, Jake. Uh, just all about really a pretty integral, interesting, relevant piece for the Timberwolves in an off season where we don't we don't really know how many things they can do. Like Bomaro seems like one of the most likely things, and I mean I don't know much about Leandro Bomaro. I don't think anybody knows much about him. And this was for me. Your article was really the you know, the, the jumping off point for me and, and getting to know him and his game. I mean, I've watched a couple of the games, but it sure seems like you watched every one of his games. Far and, too many. And <laughs> far too many games. What was, yeah, what, what kind of, what kind of went into like your thought process of doing this and, and how long did it take you to do it? Because I feel like the answer is a year. There's so much in here. Um, well, I, I thought, I think that we, like we all did, that they were probably going to lose the pitch. 
and well, I, with that attitude, <laughs> and I, you know, in some ways now, like once I was five and a half thousand words into it, I was kind of happy that they did lose the pitch because uh, <laughs> they kind of could have all gone to the wayside pretty quickly. But I, like I said, I thought they were going to lose the pitch. I needed someone to to research. I didn't think it was going to be Kate Cunningham or, or Evan Mobley. I wanted something to keep my mind at bay. Um, I'd been. I'd seen a little bit about Balmaro. I, w- I had watched a few highlights here and there, uh, and I, I had been interested in what he could bring. And I guess I just kind of took it a little bit too far, like I always do. Um, <laughs> and yeah, ended up watching. I think I, I found maybe 10 games on YouTube and then a, a streaming company, a streaming mm-hmm. service over in Australia had all of the EuroLeague games. So I think I probably ended up watching right. maybe 25 games. Um, and just clipping every single thing that I could, whether it was kind of uh, unnecessary or not. And then, yeah, working through the clips and working through notes. And I, it probably took me around three weeks of, of an hour or two every night after I'd watched all the games. So, may, so maybe, you know, five or six weeks overall. So it was a process. Wild, I don't know if it was the best use of your time as an adult. But <laughs> in the end, it, it had it got a lot of good reviews and a lot of people read it, so um, that kind of satisfied me a little bit. So I, I think it's interesting the way you kind of frame this is is you basically you know you go you start with the, the positives and you kind of move into the maybes and then get to the weaknesses at the end. And like generally speaking, I think you're you're pretty high on him as a as a player, excited about him. And, and so you would kind of think that the lead of like a player you're excited about, like I think he's going to be a, a rotation player in the league, all these sort of things, that his main thing would be something more than on-ball defense. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like, yeah. but it is. Yeah. That, that's kind of, as of right now, at almost 21 years old, you know, that's kind of what we can expect him to bring immediately, competently at the NBA level. Am I right there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's he definitely has more star in, in a role type of potential, I think, at the moment than than actual star potential. If you watch someone like Cade Cunningham, it's not on ball defense that, that jumps off the, the screen for you. It's the ability to do things that stars do on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but Balmaro, yeah, like you said, I think that the, the ability to stay with guys and to really go all out defensively um, and then combine that with, with really good technique and actually really good uh, kind of athletic skills, even though he even though he isn't a jump-out-the-gym kind of guy or, or and he's only weighs probably, I think it's 185 pounds that he's listed at. That was last year, so I'd say he's probably a little bit bigger than that, but he's still not a big dude by any means. But it's the, the, right. the little intricacies of his athletic frame I guess the way he he moves his hips the way he moves his feet uh all of that is just really advanced for a 20 year old from what I've gathered from oh it pops yeah from what I've gathered from watching other you know draft prospects in the in the last few years and and you'd know you watched plenty of them uh last year and probably this year as well is it's it's definitely something that that stands out more than other guys um and then I think just the mindset for him is very much the mindset of a guy who 
plays in a lead where you don't get gifted minutes. Like, Cade Cunningham's getting 35 minutes a night for Oklahoma State, whether he was the worst player on the floor or not. Like, Anthony, right. Anthony Edwards was getting 30 minutes a night for the Timberwolves, no matter how he started his career. Uh, this is a lead that doesn't, doesn't dabble in developing players for other teams. Like, they know Leandro Belmar is not going to play for Barcelona for the rest of his life. So, they're, they're out there trying to win games. And any minute that he gets on the court is, <clears throat> is earned completely earned and I think he understands just from watching him on the court that playing really good point of attack defense is his way to get minutes and and that seems to be what he focused on that that reminded me a lot actually of Jared Vanderbilt this year right I know it's kind of a weird comparison to make but it was it's kind of like the same thing when you're watching these Barcelona games where he kind of knows, at least at least Vanderbilt at the beginning of the year when he's just trying to scrap for minutes, right? It's just, like I think you call him a human energy drink, Bull Morrow. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, Vander, Vanderbilt played the, the, the same way where it's like, all right, I'm getting in here probably for two shifts in this game for like seven, eight minutes, and I'm going all out in, you know, in those, in those shifts, which is, which is interesting once you start being like, all right, that's – hopefully you're more than that someday, right? Hopefully this player is more than that. So it'll be interesting to see, like, whether it's a preseason game this year or it's something, you know, maybe it's summer league. Like, I'm I'm fascinated to watch, oh, Jared Vanderbilt too, or Leandro Barmaro, play, play like 32, 34 minutes in a game because that sounds exhausting, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they are just, he, he, he puts so much into his on-ball defense, and it's so clear. And I know you kind of like poo-pooed this a little bit in your article, but I think it is a good way to to kind of visualize if people haven't seen Bomaro play. I mean, he really he's like six seven, so it doesn't work out size wise. But if there's a player in the NBA that he most looks like when he's playing, it's Patrick Beverly. Yeah, I, and I, I, as much as I said that in the article, I think that was more in terms of like attitude. Like Pat Beverly, I think is specifically trying to get under your skin in a in a borderline aggressive way, whereas Bomaro seems to just be like like I think Tyler Metcalf wrote something similar and said that he's like that that kid at the at the Y, you know, who just is trying way too hard and you're just trying to get a sweat in. <laughs> like <laughs> right, like right. it's that kind of energy rather than trying to force you into, you know, fighting him or something like like Beverly seems to do. But I I completely agree with the notion that in terms of just like 94 feet pestering, mm-hmm. can't get rid of the shadow that is Balmaro, that kind of reminds me of Beverly. Well, it's there's an interesting Beverly like connection too here with Rosas and the Timberwolves. I mean, like you you talk to Gerson Rosas and things he's proud of in his career, and, and one of the things is he's the guy who found Patrick Beverly, right? Playing in Turkey, brought him over to the Rockets, and and I you know, he valued him more than anybody else in the world did to play basketball. And that kind of seems like what's going on with Leandro Balmoral, or at least did a year ago. Because I remember talking to people at the time when the Wolves took Balmoral 23rd overall last year, and they were like, that's pretty early, yeah. pretty early to, you know, to, to take him, given, and we'll get into this, but he did not shoot it well in 2019-20 at all. He wasn't really playing. There wasn't a lot out there on them. And so people are kind of like, well, like, Gers must have some sort of backdoor connection into this where he's, you know, where he's seen a lot more than the, than the rest of us have. Because 23rd seemed, seemed like a lot there. And it, it totally, that's totally the vibe I get with this, that the Wolves 
do feel like they have a connection in him. Gerson believes in this kid more than pretty much anyone else does. And really, it seems like it's the same role, at least initially in the NBA, that he'll come in probably as a backup point guard and play basketball like Patrick Beverly. Yeah, well, I I heard the same things, you know, just from draft people that I spoke about who even even guys who were really high on Balmaro were, were high in terms of him being a, a steal in the second round, like a draft and stash that you, could, yeah. that you can get in the second round who could begin to develop over a few years in in a Spanish system, Barcelona, whoever it is after that. Um, 23rd seemed high to me. And and now when I speak to those same guys, they're really impressed with his development and think that 23rd or, or higher in this draft would probably be about his range. Um, so I don't... I, I was going to ask you that. So you think that's where he go? Like, you don't think he'd go in the lottery in I, this draft? I don't think even so. Even after... Uh, I know there's Usman Garuba who, who plays for Real Madrid over there. He's a kind of expected to be like a fringe lottery guy. They were kind of on the, they, on the same path. Like Garuba's a big, but, you know, they would play 25 minutes one night and then seven minutes the next night. Um, they, they were the, final, the two finalists for, for Young Player of the Year or whatever equivalent it is over there for, for that award. Um, so I think that maybe he could, he could push up to that level. I think that in general, uh, scouts seem to be always gravitating more towards these, these international players because of the Lucas and the success stories that we hear. Obviously, the chances of getting right. them are one in a, in a hundred probably or, or more, but it's a league that's probably getting a bit more recognition as, as somewhere that players can develop and come over and play just as well, if not better, when they get into the NBA just with different different spacing, different more athleticism. Well, he's playing around. with NBA guys, yeah, more I mean, athleticism he's with around them. Legit dudes, yeah, yeah. I, the main thing I notice over there is that there's because of, there's a more of a kind of dearth in athleticism. It's a, it's much more half court game, pretty right. much, and it's slower. And I think that makes for it kind of depresses the the value of guys who have NBA athleticism and athlete, NBA skills because you watch the NBA and you know half the game is semi transition, um, right. and, and that really plays into the hands of athletic guys. And I think Bolmara is really athletic. He's like I said, he's not the guy to jump out of the gym, but he's super fast, um, really like shifty and, and, and gets out in transition really well. So I think the NBA game will suit him. Um, so to, to me, it's it's one of those things that I, I'm not sure exactly where he would go. I would probably have him just outside the lot, like between 15 and 25 maybe. Um, but I, yeah, I, I see him fitting in in the NBA pretty well compared to, to how he did over there. Well, I think, too, and in, in the difference is it, it, there might be some people listening to this and being underwhelmed by a Patrick Beverly comparison. Yeah. There is room in Bulmaro's game to be better than that. You've already seen flashes of it, and I think, as you were just talking about with some of the transition stuff, like there, there is an ability where he can be the guy leading the break where you where he's the one looking to score, and you're, you're cool with that. Like. If Patrick Beverly's getting out on the break, like like I, there better be somebody running with him because he's going to have to pass the ball here. He's not going to just doesn't have the size or explosiveness to go up and finish at the rim. Whereas, you know, Bomaro can take it coast to coast himself and and be you know be that big strong not strong but big and fast guy who that that's where I think like his game translates to the next. It reminds me of Tao Maladon a little bit last year with the Thunder where he just looked more athletic than. 
a lot of the guys that were on you know on his team, but he was also playing backup point guard for Asphalt last year, and and then you kind of you go you go yeah, this, you see him playing with the Thunder, you're like he is NBA size, he is NBA athleticism. I think Bomaro similarly will fit in athletically in a way that a lot of it, it like his starting point guard there is Nick Kalathis, yeah, who's a very good Euroleague player, but. You know, Kalathis, we saw it in the league. He was, you know, solid, but he has that EuroLeague athleticism. So I'm really interested to see where Balmaro's athleticism kind of stacks up because that will be, again, what makes him more than just a pesky on-ball defender. Well, that's what that's what makes these guys NBA players is if they can intertwine mm-hmm. the European or South American technique of the game where they really play as a team they move the ball and they and they really learn the, the fundamentals at an early age and then combine that with NBA American athleticism sure. right like if you if you get the the perfect intersection of that I think that's how you become a successful international player because you need to have like you said Kalathis is has the the skill set and has the technique but he just doesn't have the size or the speed or the strength um Mm-hmm. Bolmaro seems to have at least you know two of the three kind of athletic traits that you need, and and has a lot of that that European South American skill. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how much that can translate, especially early on for me. And I'm specifically interested in how that translates to the pick and roll game, mm-hmm. because again, if he's going to be something more than a pesky on ball guy, he's going to need to be a point guard who can you know, initiate pick and rolls. Again, Patrick Beverly is not doing that. Uh, He's de facto point guard, but Paul George is running the point and Beverly's in the corner. Ideally, with Bomaro, he is a guy who is initiating your offense or is your second side initiate or something like that. And, And a big part of that will be, can he, you know, can he effectively run a pick and roll? And, and you see in many of the clips that you highlighted in your article, is he for sure has his passing ability there. He has the ability to read, make decisions. I mean, you know, to make the the classic comparison, like Ricky Rubio style, but also similarly to Ricky, it's like, is he going to be able to do more than just being a pick and roll and kind of gnash his way under the hoop or take a running leader if he doesn't have that that drop-off to the roll man right away? Like, that that kind of seems to be going to be the difference is – is he a pick and roll passer or is he a pick and roll passer and scorer? And that will, that that's where I see a lot of the room for his kind of ceiling to swing upwards. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest worry with him is that he can never, <clears throat> sorry, uh, create his own shot well enough out of pick and roll or just out of isolation, any sort of action to really make defenders honest in both categories. Uh, The passing can always be there if the screen's set well and if you can um, set up the the pick and roll well, which I noted in the piece that he's really good at. He he really understands the minutiae of a pick and roll and just how to to run his man into a screen, how to use changes of pace to, to open up passing angles. But if you can't create your own shot and you aren't strong enough to get to the rim consistently... Um, you're not going to shoot a whole lot of step-back threes or, or punish guys for going under the screen. There's, there's a hard cap on your ceiling uh, as a pick-and-roll player and as a player in general, I think. And uh, to me, I only had one weakness in the um, article because 
to me, that's not just a single weakness. Like, not being able to create space or create your own shot is such a big weakness that, like, that takes a huge chunk out of your game. Um, even if you have other skills that you could be good at, I think, to me, we don't know what he's going to be in the future, but from watching all those games, there was never a time that his space creation ever stood out to me um, and, and his ability to create for himself ever really stood out to me. And that's that's an issue. That is the issue, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it got me thinking, you know, when I was reading it about, like, there's not a lot of point guards who have come into the league not been able to create space and still be successful. Ricky is one of those. Um, but it's even less rare or even more rare is – is kind of the ability to add that as you go. And what I was thinking, and I don't know, bounce, bounce this off you, I feel like Lonzo Ball has started to add that to his game where he's kind of taking, like, he's creating space, like, laterally or in a step back for for shots. Lonzo Ball's still not getting to the rim to finish there. But that that's what I was, I was kind of thinking of is, is, like, can he be the player who – create space with, with a little bit of a step back with getting away from the defender rather than through him. Cause I don't, I'm not sure he's ever going to be like a go up and through you type of guy right. at all. It's why a Luka Doncic comparison doesn't work yeah. whatsoever yeah. here just cause they're European, you know? Um, but it does seem like there's some potential for that. And the improvement in his shooting numbers also suggests that that, that could be coming, though you kind of noted, like, note the small sample size, not playing a lot of minutes, not taking a ton of threes, but his three-point percentage was 41% this season from three and 86% from the free throw line. In a huge sample size as well, a 71-game sample size, not huge in terms of career numbers, but in terms of a single season, it's you know pretty much virtually what... NBA player. How many total shots was it though? So seventy-one games is like eighty-five total three because you combined. Uh, yeah, it, Liga it's it's and, hard because it's EuroLeague. because every stat website you have to troll through yeah. four different. You know, you have to go through the regular season of both <laughs> leagues and then the playoffs of both leagues. I think it's around it's around one point five a game. So you know, if, if we say around yeah, nine hundred, yeah, about eighty to uh, ninety to one hundred threes. So it's. It's still not big sample size. And he size. made 40% of them. Yeah, it's still, and yeah. like I think that you can't use that number as a as a cement figure. Like there's right. there's going to be well, we, not when we've seen three we do seasons that way too much. Yeah, not when we've seen th- his previous three seasons where he was shooting you know under 30% from three and under 75% from the free throw line. Like right. I think there's clearly been changes in his shot form, which at least give you vibes that it's not just a flash in the pan you know like clearly he's changed something to to help him shoot better but is he gonna come to the nba and shoot 41 percent from three i i doubt it um that being said well, it's not even you're not really even you're not really drafting him or adding him to be a knockdown guy no that's not what it is you're you're hoping that he can be a player who, when he catches it in an open catch and shoot, will be able to, you know, shoot them and make them. And it won't be a Josh Okogie situation or a Jarrett Culver situation where we're like, eh, should they even be shooting wide open threes? Yeah. Like, uh, and, then, and, and then I think <clears throat> if he can do that, then he can also utilize the fact that he's really good attacking off the catch if he can get defenders to actually close out hard to him. Because uh, mm-hmm. he is quick in short spaces and he is 
actually not a bad finisher. He's got really good touch and craft around the rim, but if he has to go against a set big man, like you spoke about a lot during the season when when Anthony Edwards had to face the big guys in the league at the start of the season when they were in deep drop and he was just running at them. Uh, that's Anthony Edwards, who, who weighs <laughs> about 400 pounds more than Balmaro. Like, uh, if he can get the defense shifting where the, where the weak side defender is, is coming over towards him you know, a second or two later than, than, he's, than they would be if they were just standing there, that's when he can be a good finisher. Right. And I think that comes from being able to attack off the catch as like a, a, um, a shooter who can then punish closeouts. It, so, so it was interesting to me as I'm like, oh, well, maybe he'll be able to be a catch-and-shoot guy and do it at a league average. Like, I could maybe see it. Not like, didn't love the mechanics and stuff. That's an ugly shot, time, man. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's not I was trying to be. I was trying to be nice. It's an ugly shot. But I'm, I'm about to go glass half full here, though. I like his ability to get to his shot, like, off the bounce. Like, he did have... He did have comfort in, you know, in, in getting his feet set, quickly getting to a pole. So in a weird way, I'm concerned he'll be able to make open threes just in catch and shoot. But I'm also like kind of optimistic about the idea that he will be a point guard who gets the highest screen, the guard goes under, and he'll just be able to pull right there too. So it unlike Ricky, right? They're going under the they're going under the screen every time on Ricky mm-hmm. and you know. If Ricky's going to pull up, he's got to kind of like mechanically set his one-two and, and get into it. Whereas like Bomaro's like, oh, you're under? Okay. One, I, can, I can get into my shot quickly. And that was that was probably the most encouraging thing to me about, about his jump shot. Because again, if you're, if you're a point guard who's not going to be able to, to pull up and shoot, like what, what really are you? What really are you in the NBA? Like, yeah. can a team afford to have that player play more than, you know, 15 minutes a game? They need him to be able to do that. Yeah, and <clears throat> your passing ability really gets diminished if you can't, you know, also threaten the defense by being a scorer. I mean, Ricky's been a, a really great passer for a long time, but imagine how much of a better passer he would be if he also had to force defenses to, to play him hard as a scorer and a shooter. Uh, that's what you need Bomara to be. I think the cloud that looms over all of the, the Barcelona footage is the fact that he was on such a tight leash. And I, mm-hmm. I think he really, not got down on himself, but he was really concerned about making the wrong play and getting pulled for it. And I think that when you have guys like Nikola Mirotic and, and Pau Gasol on the floor, if you shoot an unsolicited step back three, like you're getting hooked straight away. Um, <laughs> right, right, and, right. and that seemed to, for me, that seemed to kind of uh, cast a little bit of doubt over him at times because then you watch him play for Argentina in the under-19s, um, Barcelona B last season when he was the, the star of the show. Um, he's shooting a lot more threes. He's shooting a lot more pull-up mid-range shots, more variety, um, creating a little bit more space for himself with, with step-backs and sidestep moves. That seems to be what, what he does if he's given a long leash, but then he's not going to be given a long leash probably in the NBA either. So it's hard. But I do think he has a little bit more to show, but he, he, he was always worried about uh, making mistakes and, and then up on the bench for it. 
I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about his size and how exactly he would fit into this Timberwolves roster, but let's take a quick break first. The NBA playoffs are here, and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at BetUS. I was just combing through some of the odds over at BetUS, and it really is looking like the NBA Finals will be a coin toss in terms of betting odds, which is something I, I can't really remember happening. Normally, I feel like we get to the finals, and there is a pretty clear favorite entering the series. But it does look like Bucks Suns, if that's what we eventually get, will be close to even money if and when we do get there. Right now at BetUS, you can get the Suns to win the championship for plus 100 and the Bucks to win the championship for plus 105. If you still think the Hawks or Clippers are going to even make it to the finals, now's the time to place your bet. As of Sunday evening, you can get 14-1 to 1 odds on the Clippers beating the Suns in this series. Of course, they're down 3-1. to 1. But 14 to 1's 14 to 1. There are also a ton of other things to bet on at BetUS. And with UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, and football season all just around the corner, you need a sports book with great payouts. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years and prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1 800 69 BetUS. And when you're there, receive 125% sign-up bonus when you use promo code DANE125. And if you want to bet live, that's no problem either. At BetUS, you can bet live all the way up to the final buzzer. And if you want to bet on the NFL already, BetUS has week one lines up live for you to bet on. There's blackjack. There's hundreds of other games in the BetUS casino. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. Bet US, you bet, you win, you get paid. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. When I'm watching him here in these kind of downhill sort of attacking situations, which outside of the jump shot, outside of the three-point shot, like that is kind of this great unknown. We don't know. But there does seem to be flashes of something he can do, kind of given his size, to be able to go to the basket and finish. And and he's just to run through this. He is six foot seven, six eight wingspan. 185 pounds. That's pretty much exactly Jarrett Culver's size. Yeah. Just so fans have an idea that Culver was, I wrote this down somewhere. Yeah, his combine was 6'7, 6'9, 194. You know, they're, they're, so they're, you know, about the same age, too. And, and so I think, right, that was the hope, was the hope with Culver, or maybe still is, I don't know. Um, but, but that, that Balmoral can be a guy who, even if he isn't shooting, he can take advantage given his size. By beat, getting a step, beating you to the rim, and also pulling up from the mid-range. And as you put it in, in your article, that's almost where he seems most comfortable right now, is operating in the mid-range. Yeah, the, like we just said, the shot mechanics on the three-point shot are a little bit clunky. Uh, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. Um, but in the mid-range, it seems to be a lot smoother, especially... Just the way he goes up, not even just the mechanics, but just maybe the, the comfortability in actually do, in actually taking the shot and, and and pulling up 
into it really quickly. I guess that's similar to Ricky again, where when Ricky's in the mid-range, it seems more comfortable just taking the shot rather than having to load it up. Um, I think that he's always been allowed to shoot mid-range, especially if if teams go way under on the screen. Uh, He can take two dribbles into an elbow jumper. That seems to be his most comfortable shot. Like I've noted in the article, I don't know how many of those shots he's going to be able to take from Minnesota, just like Jarrett Culver's probably taken it you know, 10 in in his career since he's got here. So, But in my opinion, that's been a a mistake from the Timberwolves coaching staff with Culver and kind of killed him. Was not because, I mean, if you got a guy who's bad at shooting threes, he's probably not going to come in and be making half of his mid-range shots. But that hasn't ever been my point with Culver. My point is, like, that's where he's comfortable. Like, you want to let him work from that area. You want to have him get him – ahead of speed get him a screen get him into 16 feet and let him make a decision let him try and pass off of that let him see if he's get, can get all the way to the rim let him see, and if it's not there allow him to just kind of come into that pull up and understand that like yeah you're sacrificing some percentage points in those instances but i think that's a that's a big thing that has been missed with culver and just kind of again just kind of killed any him being anything on offense was not being allowed to do that so he, and I think defense is new. It's like, okay, well, if Culver's coming in here off the screen, he's going all the way to the rim. So we're just going to be, we're just going to be ready for that. We don't got to worry about it at all. And that would be a concern for me with Bomaro too. I think he also needs that freedom to, to work from the mid range, play through the nail. And again, you're not taking four mid range shots a game, but you're allowed to. And, and I think that will go a long way in his, development and it would be a way where he's going to be this questionable shooter like you kind of got to cater to him you got to kind of throw him his bones to build confidence to be able to do it so i i would i would like to see him have the ability to take that shot to play in that area well if you block out 20 foot of the the half court where a player isn't allowed to shoot it's it's gonna make things hard isn't it i think that's the the case with tolva is that all he knows is that he can get to the rim or he can shoot a three Outside of that, he just seems to be, you know, flummoxed. He's like, bad at both of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and like you said, I think it's a great point, is that you want to allow them to get into that range and make plays for others, not just themselves. And I think, especially for Bolmaro, who I think is a better passer than Tolba ever was, uh, if you if you let him get in there and... and but Culver wasn't a bad passer. No, no. I'm not saying you're and wrong. And he was more of a I, pseudo point guard as well at Texas Tech. Like, he definitely right. was allowed to, to be the ball handler. But I, I just think if you allowed them to, to get in, drive and kick, um, hit cutters, all those things are important to an offense. It, that creates the shots that you want. Like, you can still create threes and layups from the mid-range if you can suck right. in a defense. I think that you need to be able to hit the shots to really have that gravity kind of pull towards you. But... You need to try. I just think, man, it's like an analytically cold system like the Wolves have had, right? Is just it's just tough if you're a player like Culver to be able to kind of grow in, right? And and obviously the biggest factor of why Culver has not done anything in his career thus far is a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think Jarrett Culver has had a different career if he's playing for a different team. I just do who it gives him more freedom in that area offensively and then more freedom to switch defensively too. And, and obviously this isn't a Jared Culver podcast, but again, when I'm watching Bomaro, I'm, I'm seeing like 
kind of some similarities. And we're all in, scarred. In games. We're all scarred from the Jared Culver <laughs> yeah. pitch. I think that's the the baseline <laughs> that every that every Timberwolves fan kind of stacks up a, a prospect to is that they have to be right. they can't be Jared Culver. Right. Yeah. Well, we got Jared Culver, but also Nas Reed. So if you just say Nas Reed is the sixth <laughs> overall pick, then they're all, then they're all good. You know. <laughs> uh, but no, I I think it's. I I would wonder with Truth Serum, you know, if you went to Rosa's or or Saunders or whatever, and you were just like, hey, what went wrong with Jared Culver? I wonder if part of their answer would be, or if they would have the awareness to be like. Well, maybe we restricted him a little bit too much in our, like, again, analytically cold type of system. And what I would note is they've started to, like, kind of stray away from that overall over time, right? Like, we saw Ricky had the freedom to play through the mid-range. Obviously, D'Lo did. Malik has some of that some of that freedom, too. Like, I don't think Chris Finch is, like, a red light, green light type of coach where he's like, you're, you're doing this, you're not doing I, I Actually, I love his answer, like... I asked him about Akogi like early, early on, because he his term was we put bumpers on players, right. which is basically his way of saying we're going to tell people not to do some things, and and I kind of like followed up with him on that, and he's like, if we're ever going to take something away from you, say you can't do this, we're going to give you something else that that you do do, and and that. How those bumpers apply to Vomaro will be really interesting. And uh, the Jared Culver podcast. And and with Culver, I'm interested to see how Finch kind of approaches that, you know, with with Culver as well. Because I think when you do have these somewhat, these players who have some limitations in, in their shot, whether it be Culver, Okogi, Rubio, Vomaro, like, you got to give them something else too. So they are able to, if nothing else, develop some confidence and not find themselves in a place where they're like, what do I what do I do here? Yeah, and I think one guy that you didn't mention there that that is important in all of that is Jalen Noel, who is the same thing. He mm-hmm. had a lot of freedom to shoot a mid-range jumper if he came off a screen. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if maybe that's just, like you said, the bumpers being put on other guys because what they see in practice. Like Jalen Noel can hit those shots, and we, we've seen that. He clearly has a, a, a really nice-looking jumper, and he's been hitting jumpers his whole life. Um, I just think that you need to... If if not for the playmaking and for the confidence, I think that being able to shoot mid-range shots helps you become a better three-point shooter. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't look at a guy like TJ Warren, who only shot mid-ranges for what four or five years, and then right. and now now he I think before this season, which he didn't really play much, I think he was up at forty percent from three. The bubble, yeah, the the right. bubble. But even the even the season leading up to the bubble, he was a a good three-point shooter and just a willing three-point shooter. Um, I just think maybe Culver or Balmaro, who, again, the Jared Culver podcast here, but <laughs> I, I just think with guys like that, um, if you can get them confidence just in their jump shot in general, like they know they can, they, they've shot threes their whole life, but now they're just not confident that any jump shot they take is going to go, is going to go in. Um, it's mm-hmm. easier just in terms of, you know, uh, length away from the rim that you're going to hit a mid-range shot. Um, so if you if you give them give them confidence to shoot the mid-range maybe that that transfers over to the three-point shot but i'm no i'm no shot doctor i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> right um so how do you feel like he bomar will fit into this roster as it's currently constituted i mean we know that something could or will happen this offseason in terms of you know trades on the roster maybe the mid-level or something like that but you know, generally speaking we have a pretty good idea of what this roster is right now and we'll 
it could this could be the roster, right? So so if it is, where does where does Leandro Balmoral fit in, in the roster next year? Well, I think the the biggest thing with him, like we said, is the on ball defense. That's a tick in terms of roster construction because they need that. They need a guy who can who can fight through a screen and stay on the hip of someone and, and, and take some pressure off Carl Anthony Towns in the pick and roll, especially. Or or Nas Reed. Both of those guys have gotten better, but they're both lumbering big dudes. You know, they they can't really play between mm-hmm. two players if you if you just don't let the ball handler breeze through it, breeze over a screen. Uh so that's a tick next to his name. I think that he could immediately come in and, and give them minutes just by doing that. Like we said, if he can shoot threes and, and play around bids in the post or play off other point guards, um, that's a plus. I think both of those things are kind of what I think about if you if you just drop him into the team right now, you expect him to play good point of attack defense, to knock down threes at a reliable rate, you know, 35% on, on easy looks, like low volume and, and nothing too over-the-top difficult, and then occasionally attack off the bounce and, and play make him pick and roll. I think he can do all those things immediately, which means I think he can play 15 minutes a night. Uh, whether So he's the new Jordan McLaughlin. Yeah, I think he can do that. Like, uh, And whether the, the, the issue is whether he can get more than that, and ever become a guy who can play 30 minutes a night. Um, that's a different uh, different conversation. But when you're talking about next season, I think that he's a guy who can play 15 minutes a night. He's played against adults, who guys who stomp on your neck for, for their next paycheck. Like, these are adults who are, you know, playing for their mm-hmm. family. They're not, you know, guys for Georgia Tech. Like, uh, <laughs> like, I think that's a huge benefit for every international player, especially ones who have played in Spain, which is just such a really good league. Um so for me, I think he fits fairly well. I still think he's going to need some seasoning. He's, he's very foul-prone still, which is just, uh, I think, comes from him just not being strong enough. He, he's so super aggressive, but it just looks like he's fouling a lot when, when he can just get bumped off so easily and he has to kind of scramble a little bit to get back into the play and, and maybe put a hand on someone. Or And, and they surprisingly, they are very, very ticky-tacky over in Spain. I always figured it would be... You know that the NBA yeah, is the lead. Bruising. Yeah, that the NBA is yeah. the lead that calls all these fouls. Like there is just so many fouls in that lead. So like more than the NBA, I would say. So uh, hmm. maybe he gets he gets away with a little bit more, but but as a rookie, probably not. I, I how he fits with the roster right now is good. I think he would be really good with the starters as as much as I don't think he should start. But I think as a guy who could play off D'Angelo Russell and Kyle Anthony Towns. Um, well, that's what I was going to say with the Jordan McLaughlin thing is it's like we both years, J-Mac and D'Lo played well together. Yeah, and Balmaro you know? is seven inches taller, which helps him, you right. know, guard guys. Like like when you have J-Mac and, and D'Lo on the court, you are giving up a lot defensively in the backcourt, whereas I think Balmaro can, can be the guy you can put on the best ball handler out of the two guards or even, you know, the, the three, and then you can hide D'Lo more on, on someone who's not going to handle the ball as much. So, because you watched more full games of him than I have, I mean, do you feel like when he is out there, and even if it was next to DeAndre Russell, that he has to be like the point guard, that he will be the one? I mean, not obviously, it's not the same person every single time, but I think if we look at the D'Lo and J Mac minutes, the majority of those times, the guy quote unquote dribbling the ball at the floor, initiating the offense, was more often McLaughlin, mm. and and at that, I'm assuming that is what it would look like 
if if Bomaro was out there with with Russell, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think, like you said, it, I think it could work either way because obviously there's going to be times where Delo needs to handle the ball just because you're paying him so much money yeah. and he's the second best player on the team. But what what they did with J Mac seems to be what Bomaro would thrive at. You, you don't need anything fancy from him. You don't need any isolations. You just need to bring the ball up, maybe run the first pick and roll. You know, or you can just run straight into a handoff and then go spot up in the corner or cut. Like I think that's what they they like to do with J Mac is just not have Russell handling the ball for fifteen seconds of the shot clock. More get him, and that worked. Yeah, and that worked. Like Dela was good at that. He was good in that that two guard type of role. I I actually that was really encouraging for me because I mean I don't know the Rubio and Delo thing <laughs> never really worked. Yeah, but the Ru- the Delo and J Mac thing kind of did and also the D'Lo and Ant sort of thing where Ant was the point guard so like I'm not concerned about D'Angelo Russell playing alongside another quote-unquote point guard I'm concerned about D'Angelo Russell playing alongside Ricky Rubio yeah but those are those are different things because Ricky does have his weaknesses right that do not jive well with D'Angelo Russell now that said we've been comparing Ricky Mm -hmm. and Bomaro here a good amount because those weaknesses are shooting and and kind of strength to be able to to get all the way to the to the rim so i i don't know i guess i could see that going both ways yeah i i think the the difference at least for me is obviously the shooting we we hope that he's a little bit better shooter than ricky is um he played he did a lot of that same stuff for barcelona where he would be the ball handler until he got up the court and had to give it to someone better like someone that they trusted (laughs) someone that they trusted to score 20 points a night um and I think that works in his favor because he did get he is a he is a pretty good off ball mover just as a cutter. He something I didn't ne- mention in the piece, which I probably should have, is that he is a really good on on the fly kind of off ball screener. I don't think they're I don't a lot of it is not in actions. He would just you know yell out to a teammate, come and set a screen, yeah yeah, and come and set a yeah. screen for them so they can get open. I think that's that's stuff that you really that's little things that don't go noticed maybe to the average eye, but. Uh, on the court as an off-ball scorer or as an off-ball guard, they're really important. And I think D'Lo would love stuff like that where he could just kind of... If if Bomar is in the corner and D'Lo's in the slot, he just runs up and, and, and sets a screen for D'Lo so D'Lo can come to the corner and maybe get a skip pass from Towns or um, you know something out of the post like that. So that's the kind of stuff where I really think he's better at than Rubio just because Rubio always played, even in Barcelona, even in Spain, just always on the ball. He was this phenom point guard who who was meant to be you know the next big thing quarterback yeah whereas yeah. I think Bolmaro has always been looked at as you're going to be good one day but right now we need to get other people the ball because we're trying to win the Euro League and you're 20 and you know like I think that helped him <laughs> I think that'll help him translate to the NBA as a role player who's probably going to be in a similar kind of role like we want to win games so you're not going to be the guy who's shooting 15 times a night or dribbling the ball or every time or have a 30% usage like you need to kind of fill a role and sometimes that kind of, that's going to be as an off-ball guard and I think he's got experience in that what was interesting for me and it's kind of with all European players just because they don't really have like those six foot ten you know kind of flying to the rim guys that I, I found myself watching him play and being like I think he would really benefit from playing next to like a Jared Allen type of guy where he can come off the screen and 
go to that floater because, yeah. like you said, he's got some good touch, but also you know also hit him with an alley oop in, in those sort of situations. But we didn't you don't get to see that play because he's playing with Paul Gasol, <laughs> who's not 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 flying to the rim at 38 <laughs> years old. But but I think Bomaro that adds another guy to the if I'm right there that he's a point guard that would benefit from that because I think D'Lo for sure is that guy for sure would benefit from that. I think Ant could get there because I don't know if Ant's ever going to be like a floater guy, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we got to, if he's in that like eight foot range and it's you know, just, the it's just there try and, and bully, take one more dribble and bully his way to the rim. I, I think a, a huge thing for Ant next year would be finding a way to be kind of profitable in that sort of eight to 10 foot range. And, and one way to, to do that is to have a lob threat on the team. So, so now you have this third player, and I think Ricky would too. So fourth player who would all benefit from this, and the Wolves just don't have that player on the roster at all. And because that's not Cat, Vanderbilt can't really catch, so it's not him. So I, I just I found myself thinking a lot about John Collins, you know, and and that that type of big. I think with Bomaro, if he does click here and he fits, and he's the, you know, he's the future point guard in waiting, which you know who knows. I think he needs to play with a big like that. And and the Wolves, you know, the the Wolves don't have one of those yet if they are going to be I mean, I know it's just a little it's just a little extra thing cuz it's just like one more player, but it, it pushes it a little bit further towards me where if the Wolves are making the big move this summer and they're addressing the front court, it's another little couple of gold stars on the you know, the John Collins pile right there, I thought. Well, yeah, it's, it's it's only one more player, but if you're adding an extra 5% of os- offensive juice to four more guys, like, it, it makes mm-hmm. a big difference. And I think relating it to Balmara, I think you, you, you're spot on. You, you saw over there when even with the pocket passes that he threw, I think a pocket pass and a lob are similar in the way that you need a guy to really hit that role hard. Um, and then mm-hmm. you and then you can feed it to them while they've got the momentum going to the rim. You just don't get that with Gasol. You don't even get it with Miritich, who's more athletic but still not an athletic guy in terms of NBA standards. Um, Towns hits the roll hard. I will like in that kind of way. He can not all the time, but he does have that kind of ability. And Nas too. Yeah, they have and that Nas ability too. to kind of burst to the rim, uh, take one dribble and dunk. But they they're also both guys who pop a lot as well. I I think that you really need. A guy who just, who just, Jared Allen's a perfect example. You know, that DeAndre Jordan archetype, I feel like he's the guy who really, like, started mm-hmm. it in the modern NBA. He's just, like, come off a screen. They can screen well to begin with. Like, you really, they really, really need to hit hard on those screens. And then they just run to the ring, just throw it in the air. And they have a big catch radius, <laughs> big catch radius you know, like a, just a big dude in general who can, who can catch the ball and put it in. It seems. Seems to me that, that that's obvious. I don't know why. You know, like it's it's something that <laughs> I'm with you, man. That we this team needs, and then it also takes pressure off Towns defensively because usually those guys are at least big enough and athletic enough to be some sort of a deterrent offensive uh, defensively. John Collins seems to be the the guy, but uh, I was speaking to Jack Borman yesterday, and it just seems that the odds of him leaving Atlanta are dropping dramatically every time they win a game that they probably shouldn't. Yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting one. I mean, it, for all of these, it's I mean, like the three names people are going to be throwing around, or like you guys threw around, are you know Simmons, Turner, and Collins, and all of them in and of themselves, ex- those exact players are all 
not a high chance of happening. It could, you know, all three yeah. could happen, right? But it, but it's also, I think it's an interesting intellectual activity to kind of like think about which of those three players you would want the most, the archetype of those three players, because, you know, they're all they're all about the same size, or they're all bigs. I mean, obviously Simmons is weird, but Simmons is big. Um, but they're very different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're very different bigs because because Turner is your elite rim protector pop guy on offense, and then and then Collins is. I mean, I know he made his open threes, but he's not a knockdown shooter. But he is that lob threat, you know, uh, on offense. And then Simmons is his own like kind of like could handle it plays in the dunker spot you know that sort of thing it's like the in the wolves context like the super juiced up jared vanderbilt Mm -hmm. and and those are three like very different things and again to the whole like truth serum gerson rosas conversation i wonder i wonder when he looks at this roster that we're talking about right now which of those three archetypes he thinks is is most important and and I don't think like John Collins is my favorite player of those three by any means. But when I'm thinking about archetype and we're adding in Leandro Balmaro to the mix as your backup point guard, it's kind of like I feel like that's kind of the offensively that's the archetype that I feel like this team needs. John Collins is the best archetype out of those, but you ha- you can't rate him as the one you want the most because Ben Simmons is just better than him. I think if, if that makes yeah. sense. Like if they were all similarly talented, I think that that John Collins, a lob threat, a guy who can still stretch the floor even if he's only going to shoot 35 36%, um, and then competes defensively. I know he's had his issues defensively, but I think you and I agree that they've been a little bit overblown in the past, and, and I think in the playoffs he's, yeah. he's, he's put a few of those issues to bed because he's been really good, or at least fighting really hard and, and doing the right things. Um, that seems like a player Minnesota really need, and... But if you have the chance to get Ben Simmons, who's, as you said, a beast of his own and and something else entirely different, I think you go and get it. And then the same thing, it, the odds of getting... And then Turner, Turner's interesting too. Like Turner, it, Turner's interesting in his own right. We, we, the fan base, I think, has cried out for more rim protection to supplement Carl Anthony Towns for four, five, six years. Like You don't really get much better rim protection than Miles Turner, I think behind Gobert he was probably the best shot blocker and rim protector in the league this season so it's a it's a weird uh kind of trio of players to be analyzing because you can't just lump them in all in like we need one of these guys because we need to fill this role like all those guys no matter if you get one of them the the dynamic changes of the team in different ways for each three guys um uh, and it's so funny because the the one the archetype that they do have right now is the one that we know doesn't work at power forward. The small, which is tall, skinny guy. Yeah, the small non-shooter, yeah. skinny guy. Yeah, well, because I mean, and even Covington and, and McDaniel's shoot a little bit, but it's like we know that doesn't work well with Cat. Yeah, not that Covington's a bad player, not that McDaniel's is a bad player. They're good players. They don't work well with Cat yeah. defensively. Well, putting three, and putting threes at the four is doesn't work. That's the problem. Is they they're playing small forwards at power forward. <laughs> we get we get X off that <laughs> archetype. We know. Get rid of that. Get rid of that idea. They need, you know, they, they need some of their and, and here on the Jerk Culver and Leandro Balmoral <laughs> podcast. It's you know, it it's relevant. It's just it's just all. It's all relevant because I they keep adding. Ant is developing into a player who needs that. 
D'Lo has shown now, coming back from injury, that he's a player that that needs up, you know, a big next to him. Balmaro looks like he'll be he'll be a type of guy. It's just like I don't. We're preaching the choir. Everyone, everyone who's listening to this knows that the Timberwolves need a power right, forward right. or a second big, however you know, however you want to put it. But it, it's just it's become increasingly clarified that if you do not handle that and if you do not make the correct decision there. As at, in terms of what the right archetype is, like that, that could be really a, like a sliding door sort of moment of, of you know where where this team is going because this team clearly, clearly needs that. I've got a question for you. Just just coming off the, what you're saying, if, if all these guys, so Balmaro, Rubio, uh, D'Lo, Anthony Edwards, if they all need a guy like that on their team to really maximize themselves as a passer. Uh, or, or just a pick and roll player in general. Does that just mean that every team needs one? Because they're four really different guys. Like, yeah, do, do you know what I mean? Like, if 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 everyone, that's kind of the archetype of like Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell are usually the archetype of a, a team's best perimeter player. Either that big wing mm-hmm. or a scoring po- point guard who can who can shoot from deep. Like, is that just a player that every team should have? Is that rim runner? Jake, like, how many teams? Don't have that. Even like, even a ben- you know even a bench saying? guy who does it. Even a guy who gives them fifteen minutes a night and can just come in like a Robert Williams for for Boston. Sure. Um. You know. Even a guy like it's- even a guy like Cody Zeller who's just a really hard rim runner. Like he's not athletic, sure. but he just runs to the rim all game. Like Lamelo Ball. I'm sure he loved playing with a guy like that. Whereas Anthony Edwards didn't get to play with a guy like that for his whole first season. It's it's one of the most bizarre things to me about the Rosa's regime and I've been on it since the day one media day day one of Rosa's and I'm like looking at this roster and I'm like so we're just not doing we're not going to do a big guy huh? yeah. <laughs> like you know and it's just and and I I don't know I don't I just don't I've never understood it I think it's eight the idea has aged poorly I I I really I really don't know I really don't know why they haven't done it. That said, like glass half full of this is could if you do plug that into this roster, does it maybe have even more of a positive impact than we ever thought? Like than we even anticipated. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just shoots you up. Yeah, and I, and we're not going to know that until they try. And I think that that they uh, you know rumors of rumors, trade rumors and stuff. But when they're, where there's smoke, there's usually some sort of embers burning. Um, yeah, right. And I think that that internally they seem to be realizing that they need to go and get another big guy. I think that they've they've seen one show not work. They've seen McDaniel's. They've seen Covington. Like, if they're really the Rosas and and company are really the the smart front office that they love to portray themselves as, um, they need to swallow their pride and admit kind of where this is all gone wrong, especially in that position. Um, and that seems to be if they're if they're chasing Miles Turner, they're admitting that they've gone wrong because he's a five in every sense of the word. Well, it, it's kind of if they go get any of those three guys, mm. it it kind of it, it's a completely new behavior out of them because well, yeah, you were just we were just running through them. I mean, the bigs that they have brought in here over the time have been, you know, Wancho. I mean, they created Covington into a big. They, you know, then they bring in backup centers like Noah Vonley and Jordan Bell. Like they haven't done it. They, they just, they have not 
found value in it or really prioritized it. And even, even like the guys that they were pursuing in the offseason who they didn't get for the mid-level weren't even really those guys either. It's like Jermichael Green, you know, like not that he's a bad player, mm. but that's not one of those archetypes. Like Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder is the Covington archetype, the Covington McDaniels sort of power forward archetype. So, yeah, if they do, if they do change their tune, it's going to be a completely, yeah, it's going to condemn themselves. It's going to yeah. condemn the roster construction the first two years. And I'm, yeah, I, I hope they can look in the mirror and be like, this is of the things we've done well. This is one of them we haven't done well, and and kind of and kind of reassess it. And I just if they go in, if they go into next season and their power forwards are McDaniel's and Wancho, like you're going to be bad. Yeah. You're going to be bad. I, I I'm There's increasingly no way around it. I'm increasingly of the of the mindset that small ball just doesn't work unless you have really good switchy wings. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think you can have Malik. Be- I think you don't think you can have Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards as your two and three. If you want to play small, like you can have Paul George and Dwight Leonard. Uh, I was going to say Clippers. Yeah, you can have Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges, but you can't have mm-hmm. guys who can't defend and can't switch up to the four, and then bring in, you know bring the two up to the three and the and the three up to the four. Right. So if your wings aren't big, right, big enough to do that, then then you have to play big. Yeah, and if and you, you have to have a real four and a five, like and I to, think the Wolves roster size. indicates it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I just think that you know that's that's increasingly kind of obvious, especially these playoffs. A few teams that have gone small have just got blown off the court doing it because it just doesn't work unless you have those. Right. But it seems like we point to the times where we go the other way, where the big guy gets blown off the court. Yeah. The uh, Gobert, you know, situation. But it, it goes both ways. You're totally right. It, it goes it goes both ways. And obviously, we're, we're on the same hill here, dying on it. But it, <laughs> it is it has become increasingly obvious. And I, it literally in my notes, as I'm watching Bull Morrow, I'm like, again, this is another reason why you need to effectively address the second big man spot next to cat, because he will be limited. If you play Bull Morrow, do you pay 60% of his 70% of his minutes next to Wancho at the four? You're going to hurt it. You're going to hurt Bull Morrow. Yeah. It's same thing with D, you know, but then, but then on the other, Wancho isn't a play. Yeah. On the other hand, on the other hand, he he at that size and with his defensive um, now, so yes, he does have the the capabilities to be that bigger wing who can defend multiple positions. Like I said, that does work with small ball. I don't mm-hmm. think he's at the position right now where he's a guy you can just plug in and he fixes your small ball problems like Kawhi and Paul George and and Tatum and Brown do. But it, it, he does have the makings of someone who can play you know, one, two, or three with size. And I think that does help if you're trying to play small ball. I still agree that you shouldn't be playing small ball with this roster, but I think he is the kind of player who does, you know, give you half a step in the right direction for a small ball success. But probably not for a couple of years. Right, right. He's going to need to put on like 15 pounds. Well, he's going to need to play 35. He's going to need to play 30 to 35 minutes a night to actually help you with that. And right now he just can't. Right, right. Well, Jake, this was... This was awesome. Of course, we got off on a completely different tangent, but <laughs> the reason that you came on was uh, was your piece at CanisHoopus.com that everybody listening should check out. It's called What Could Leandro Balmaro Be? And as you just alluded to, you and Jack Borman today, or Sunday, came out with a podcast on your podcast, Paint Points. P-A-Y-N-T. I bet you some people <laughs> missed that in the in the search, <laughs> the search function. Um, and you can follow Jake on Twitter, at Jake Painting. 
Uh, thank you for doing it, Jake. Ah, thanks very much for having me, man. I had a lot of fun today. Cool. Um, and I will be back on Tuesday with Britt Robson. We will. Uh, we are going <laughs> to kind of have the same conversation that Jake just Jake and I just did here the last fifteen minutes. But want to kind of? It's time to take stock of this team, right? Like it's time to take like the picks not coming. It's off season. We know we know what the variables are, and it's 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 time to dig in. You can do that with Jake on Twitter, Jake on his podcast, and Britt and I will do that on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah, green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.